President's Day with the people of Plains. They're just such amazing people. And growing up with them and knowing them my whole life, they are family to everybody in town. Welcome to the special episode of the Politically Georgia podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy. If you're here listening to us for the first time, welcome. We invite you to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Coming up on today's episode, we're going to take you to Jimmy Carter's hometown of Plains, Georgia. We found out earlier this week that Jimmy Carter had entered hospice care. Obviously, this is his hometown his entire life. We're going to hear the stories of the Carters, the lives they've touched here in Plains, and see what the future is for this historic town in Southwest Georgia. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. We're in Plains, Georgia, a small town in Sumter County with a population of about 800 people. Jimmy Carter's boyhood farm is still there to this day. Welcome to Jimmy Carter's boyhood farm. This is actually the farm that he grew up on. They moved out here when he was like four years old. The family that lived here wanted It's a beautiful space. It's peaceful. There's not a cloud in the sky today. There's a steady, gentle breeze. Birds are chirping and the sounds of chicken clucking in their coops peaceful stroll to a peaceful home. As you walk toward the steps of the house, there's a marker for the landmark, and you press the button on a box to hear Jimmy Carter's own words talking about the home where he grew up. Hello, I'm Jimmy Carter. Welcome to the house and the farm where I spent my youth. Here, we had long working days during those Depression years. We would wake up each morning when the bell would ring about four o'clock sun time, which was long before sunrise. We didn't have any electricity and we didn't have running water in our house. We got water from hand pumps for both of livestock and for our own use. It was quite a change for us when electricity came. When you walk into the home, there are other people there, of course, because it's a piece of the national park that is there for Jimmy Carter as a former president. So there are other people strolling around, but it's so intimate. When you open that door, you walk in and Jimmy Carter's childhood bedroom is the first thing you see. It's right there on the left-hand side. And it's like it's frozen in time. It seems surreal because we're here on a pair of white rocking chairs on the porch of Jimmy Carter's boyhood 
home in the tiny hamlet of archery just outside of of plains a couple miles from from plains and patricia <laughs> i don't think i've ever felt anything like that i've never been to this boyhood farm but we were both very impressed with the house oh the house itself is really lovely and it's a home that was a Sears Roebuck home and put together locally with the plans sent by Sears Roebuck as they were done in the day. Um, but it's just very high ceilings, large windows, a beautiful screen porch, but all of this really is done also to accommodate just the incredibly extreme weather in South Georgia. So um, you need those big windows to keep you warm in the winter because there was no heat in this home and still isn't. It's, right now it's a it's a February day and it is really cold Brisk. in those rooms. And Jimmy Carter in, his, in one of his books wrote that he never remembered how hot it was, but he always remembered how cold he was when he was at home in Plains. So this is... Um, it was a middle class home, and it, you know, obviously it still is, but it's uh, right up on the train tracks. And when they used to have sleepovers here for the girls, apparently it would, uh, the train, which came by twice a day, but one of those times was 2 a.m., and it would startle people practically out of their skins when they were here spending the night. It's getting close to 11 o'clock, and there's an event over at the old high school that Jimmy Carter and Rosalind Carter both attended. We pull up to the old high school, and it is beautiful. It's just a tall, really lovely brick building, totally restored, and it looks as it would have been in the days when Jimmy and Rosalind Carter were going to school here. The President's Day event has already started, so we take our seats in the back of the old auditorium. Um, the next president that we're going to talk about here is the 14th president, uh, Franklin Pierce. And uh, again, the presenter is delivering a speech about the seven lesser known presidents in American history. And of course, that doesn't include Jimmy Carter because he's the most famous president in Plains. Then we decided to go and just explore more of the high school. And one of the very first things that visitors see when they walk through the front doors is a new piece. It's a new cabinet. And it was built by Josh Carter, who is Jimmy Carter's grandson. And it's this beautiful cabinet that is inscribed with a note from Josh to his grandparents. And he built it on the occasion of their 75th wedding anniversary, which was just in 2021. And it says, just a part of it says, Dear Papa, I designed this cabinet to reflect your craftsmanship and the hundreds of pieces you have made in your workshop. I aimed for straight lines, crisp angles, and tight joinery. I remember that you always learned a new skill or technique whenever you created a new piece. 
This piece has my first raised panels, my first nesting slots, and my first hidden hinges. And he goes on to just describe all of the intricate details on this little cabinet that he built. And it says, in passing on tradition, my son Charlie helped me make these doors. I thought of our time together. <laughs> I thought of our time together in your workshop every step. Thank you, love, Josh. And it just speaks to um, how close he still is to his family. Making me so sad. But you can just feel the emotion there. You can feel how close Jimmy Carter is to his whole family. It makes you think of your own family and how important these, um, these things are that we learn from people. And that's probably Jimmy Carter's greatest legacy on top of all of the thousands of homes that Habitat for Humanity has built and on top of all of the peace efforts and on top of curing diseases. I mean, it's just so many things that he's done even since he was president, but it's really just the example that he's leaving for people, the legacy that he's built and just the way he so clearly treated people in his own family. And then people he met all around the world speak of this really warm charisma that he had and the connection that they felt. Um, and he gave that to everybody he met. Okay, you want to go for a walk? This looks like this is downtown Plains. Well, this is Main Street in Plains, Georgia. Like so many small towns in Georgia, the town is situated right next to the railroad tracks. There's an old train depot, and that is actually where Jimmy Carter held his campaign headquarters for president. He said that he needed a place for his volunteers to gather and for reporters who were traveling all the way down to Plains. They needed a place to go ask people questions instead of just barreling on in the way they do today. So you can see the old train depot. Then you walk down Main Street and the tracks are on the left-hand side and all the shops are on the right-hand side. There's an old antique mall. There's Buffalo Cafe named after the Plains High School Buffaloes. There's the ice cream parlor that serves peanut butter ice cream that is amazing. And then you just keep going. There's an old political paraphernalia store, all sorts of collectibles. What's most amazing about Plains is that there are no empty storefronts. It's a really vibrant, really alive small town. Producer Shane Backler and I are walking along Main Street together. We know we have to go to the Plains Trading Post. The owner, Philip Curland, is such a character. He has come to Plains by way of Brooklyn, New York, and all sorts of places in between. He's a huge, huge political paraphernalia aficionado. And there are thousands and thousands of buttons, posters, old cans of Billy beer that are still full, all sorts of things, everything you can imagine that would be any kind of old political gear, he's got it there. My name is Philip Curlin, Philip with one L. I come from a poor family, K-U-R-L-A-N-D. This is the Plains Trading Post in Plains, Georgia. And right now as we speak, you've come at an exciting time. The streets of Plains is being pressure washed.
Mr. Carland, how did you get into the political memorabilia business? Well, originally we were entirely Native American. That stopped working. Then we went to antiques. That stopped working. And then I had a 30-button collection. I said, why don't I bring this down to show off? And everyone tried to buy it. (laughs) And that's how it started. Was that here in Plains? Yes. No kidding. Now, with the Secret Service stuff, we used to have brittle. An agent came in and wanted to trade a pin for a bag of brittle. I didn't even know there was Secret Service stuff. And now we are the largest retail Secret Service dealer in the United States, if not the only dealer. Oh, my gosh. So, of the Jimmy Carter memorabilia in here, do you have a favorite one or two pieces? Of course I do. Oh, good. Which ones? This is my favorite button because it's Gimme Jimmy. And I feel everyone should have Jimmy. (laughs) So this is, that looks like Jimmy Carter. Those are definitely Jimmy Carter's teeth and smile. It's it's definitely Jimmy Carter. Yes. Gimme Jimmy. Was this from his campaign, Vote Democratic? Do you know if that was an official button for the Carter campaign or just supporters? It is an official button. How much does something like that go for? It's only twelve ninety nine. All our prices start off with only. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bargain. It's so tiny. Is this was this a lapel pin or why was it that size? I, I think most people get buttons, never wear them. We do not sell to collectors. We sell to nibblers, people that want a couple of things. I thought you'd say it'd be the Playboy. Yeah. Well, the interview, the famous Lust in My Heart interview. You, you know, if you read that now, it is so lame. Right. <laughs> but at the time, it was a big scandal. And if you remember, he was way ahead in the polls, and that came out just before, and he almost lost. If it would have been nowadays, it would have ended up in the Supreme Court. It was so close. Yeah, he dropped 15 points after the Playboy interview. This is my second favorite one. It's a bicentennial because he did win in 76. Of course. And it's him as Peanut Uncle Sam. <laughs> you have cans of Billy Beer, don't you? Of course we do. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, his brother came out with a beer called Billy Beer. By all accounts, it was not the best beer in the world. I've heard it called Scuzz by quite a few people. Now, I don't know what Scuzz means, but it doesn't sound too appetizing. Let's do an on-air test. Yes. Now, do you some need of, him anymore? Yeah, do we? Yes, we do. <laughs> well, if you need him, don't let him drink the beer. <laughs> <laughs> now, look at the 1980 pen by now, Dump Carter with the big smile. That I once came ha- full circle. I once had an Iranian hostage in here, and I walked up to him and said, what do you think about the way President Carter handled the Iranian hostage situation? The guy looked up. Let me smiled and said, I'm still alive. I thought that was a very good endorsement. And when you think about it, he concentrated on that and really didn't campaign the way he should have to get reelected. Mm-hmm. It was more important to him that the hostages come home. When I was sick and couldn't come downstairs, he sat with me for an hour. They're that kind of people. When we first moved here, And here we are, we're rushing because it's going to be the biggest event of the year in September and we're trying to get the gift shop and everything's going wrong or whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if President Carter even lives here. (laughs) Jimmy and Rosalind come in to welcome us to the community and they never stop coming. For years he would come in here 
almost weekly just to see how we were, or I might talk politics or something like that with him. You better be on top of your game. I could pick the most odd topic, and he would know every detail about everything. It's incredible, his knowledge. I've asked him several times about Area 51 and the space aliens, <laughs> and every time he smiles at me, I wonder what that means. <laughs> it's interesting. His whole campaign is, I'll never lie to you. If I didn't live here, I would have never believed it, but it's true. Hmm. You go to meetings, he's involved. He is the whole core of the community. Hmm. And now that we're looking at this time that he's entered hospice care, how do you think the community goes forward from here? Well, first I want to address something for the family. And my condolences, it's sad. Uh, I feel bad but I want them to also celebrate him because he will be alive every day forever in Plains. Uh, the community knew this day would come and we're, I would say we're still not accepting it as real, but on the other hand, life well done. There's definitely a somber tone in Plains, but there's also a lot of laughter and Philip is very fast with a joke. You, you know why Sarah Palin kept putting quarters in the Coke machine? Uh-oh. She was winning. <laughs> What's the difference between an Auburn graduate and a pizza? A pizza can feed a family of four. <laughs> I'm buying a can of Billy Beer. Yeah. Oh, are you going to drink it? It's going to be, we're going to expense it. Uh. <laughs> Andrew Morse, our publisher, if you're listening, we're expensing a can of Billy Beer. <laughs> you know, I hear about the woman that didn't pay her exorcist? She got repossessed. <laughs> Still to come, how the lives of people here in Plains have been touched by the Carter family and the outpouring of love toward former First Lady Rosalind Carter. This is a special edition of Politically Georgia from the Atlantic Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with the other host, Patricia Murphy. And we're not only the host of this podcast, we're also two of the three authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts and get six months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. Y'all in here? Yes, sir. 
We decide to grab lunch at the Buffalo Cafe in the Old Bank. It's Plains, Georgia, so it is in an old bank. You can see the vault right there, right next to some of the tables. There's y'all's number. Thank you so much. We'll bring the food out to that number. Tim Buchanan takes customers' orders and rings them up. He clears off the tables as they finish, and he works at the cafe, but as a volunteer. I run the Buffalo, and I work because I work. I'm a volunteer, and I work through the um, the um, Friends of Jimmy Carter National Historical Park, which is a foundation that supports all the events and everything we do in town. And because we're nonprofit, every, all the money we make goes back into the community. This building was the bank in 1902, and bank for a, a bank for about maybe 15, 20 years. In fact, there's a thing out front that tells about it. Then we were a post office, and then when I was a child, I remember it being Hugh Carter, Jimmy's first cousin, his um, worm farm, and he sent his worm, um, meal worms for feed for feed purposes, and he shipped them out of here. And then it became a restaurant in about 2000, and then we took it over the foundation somewhere around 2010. Tim has deep roots here in Plains, Georgia. Well, our families were connected, and we'll yes. all go all the way back to our great-grandparents. Okay. And um, I, he has his boyhood farm, so we decided we wanted to do something for her, so we're doing the childhood gardens for her. And it is, um, it's going to be totally educational. It's a STEM project where we teach, in fact, starting in March, um, between March and May, up to 2,000 fourth graders are going to come and learn about the monarch butterfly, the plight of the monarch, and pollinators and their importance to our ecosystem. And that's what it's going to be. It's going to be an educational experience for kids to come to Plains and be part of you know, they're her legacy, and part of her legacy is the monarch butterfly, and, and um, it's on the endangered species list now, of course. We're planting a, an acre of milkweed behind it, but we start in March bringing the kids to it, and they'll, they'll, it's, it'll be an outdoor classroom for them. You know, I love that y'all are doing something for Rosalind, yeah, because it's yeah. her hometown, too. Everyone yeah. says it's Jimmy Carter's hometown. And, it's From perfect. here on, they will be a, they, they will be known as Jimmy and Rosalind Carr. She did everything with him. It, you know, she was one of the first. He was one of the first presidents that admitted his wife was Rosalind was an advisor. Yeah. So um, being an advisor, she's been really hand, holding his hand through everything he's done. So they will both be. They transcend politics and the presidency and the first lady. They're going to be. I keep I keep saying they're going to be Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa. Seriously, I believe their legacies are that big now because of the Rosalind Carter Institute, the Carter Center, and what all they do worldwide, and then just their legacies of Habitat Humanity. She's been with him the whole, so it'll be them. Love it. Now, how are how are you doing it? How is the town doing right now? It feels like you've got your close up, but it's also a hard. It is. Moment. You know, when and we've known since really the holidays. Yes. <laughs> And I just lost my dad, too. <laughs> it's like this is something we've been expecting for years, you know. But um, now that it's here, it's just, they're just such amazing people. And growing up with them and knowing them my whole life, it just feels like another, fa well, they are family to, to everybody in town. You, know? you can feel it. Yeah. You can feel it here. Well, thank you so much. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. He belongs to everyone yeah. here as well, yeah. in, in a real way. We just see his well, example, but y'all know. Yeah, we were talking last night about that very thing, you know, how it's just, that's just planes, and that's, um, 
that's who we are, kind of. And and, and it's I, we think because we've lived by their example, tried to live by their example. So. <laughs> earlier too that of all the things that they've done and there are so many it's just the example that they have set for people to follow is maybe their biggest impact yes i agree i agree we'll never have another president and first lady from the same small 700 people little town like this and, and their families go back generations in this town that'll never happen to another first lady and president and then, like I said, for them to have gone on and done so much more than just politics is what really makes them so special. Another longtime resident of Plains is Jane Williams. She's a member of Maranatha Baptist Church where the Carters attend and where President Carter uh, used to teach Sunday school just about every Sunday. Years ago, she was also Amy Carter's teacher in Plains. And like everyone there, the Carter family is near and dear to her heart. We walk past the news vans and satellite trucks parked in the parking lot. It's not gonna be like this. Yeah. I think the, the rule is they're gonna be down at the water tower. Okay. And we find a quiet place at the community center where we sat down in white rocking chairs and talked about her life in Plains and her relationship with the Carters. So, Jan, tell us about the last three days here in Plains. It seems like it's been a whole lot more than three days. Um, so, everybody's flocking out of Plains, and uh, you have to keep reminding yourself that people are here because they want a story to tell. And the majority of the people in Plains don't want to say anything because they're trying to adjust to what it may end up happening sooner or later and just have some time to themselves to prepare for this because he's been a part of our life. He's our friend. Tell us, what was y'all's relationship with um, with the Carters? Your husband grew up here. Yes. Obviously, you've been here for... 51 um, years. I should say more than 50 years, <laughs> so that right. counts. <laughs> you've done your time. That's right. So what is y'all's relationship well, been like? Well, my husband's family, the Williamses, we used to own the big peanut business here in Plains. We've just been able to sell it in the last year or so. Mr. Jimmy had his peanut business. So we were competitors. But I heard my husband speaking a little while ago to someone at lunch. He said, you know, if Mr. Jimmy ran out of something and we had it at our warehouse, we'd let him use it until he could get it and then he would give it back. So it wasn't a great big competition like everybody tries to make it out. There was enough peanuts for everybody. So you were there when he was inaugurated. Mm -hmm. Very exciting. Um, it seems like so many exciting things have happened here <laughs> for Plains because of Jimmy Carter. Oh, yes. Uh, I got to meet John Glenn when he came to talk to Mr. Jimmy about being the vice president. I got to meet Walter Mondale before he was chosen to be the vice president. Willie Nelson came and did concerts for us, you know. Just these important, exciting people that he knew as personal friends, he wanted us to meet. After he lost his reelection, he came back to Plains. Did y'all expect him oh, to? Oh, yes, ma'am, because I asked him. When he decided to run, I said, 
I got a question that has nothing to do with you running, really. Whether you win or lose, I got a question. He said, okay, what is it? I said, what you going to do when you're not president anymore? Let's say you win. He said, I'm coming back to Plains. I said, okay, you can run then. Because I knew if he came back to Plains, Plains wouldn't die and become a ghost town. Because we were going to see that his life was going to be on uh, for the world to come here to see. And really, he is your only president. You can go to one town and see everything about his life from where he was born at the hospital here that's now a nursing facility to where he grew up, to where he lived, to the only house he's ever owned and lived in, built in 1961, to the church that he went to, to the church that became after he went to Washington. And, I mean, it's just history right here in this little town to see everything about the man's life. What do you want people to know most about Jimmy Carter? He was not a fake at all. If he told you he loved you, he loved you. If he said, I will help you, he would help you. He was the most caring and giving person who did not have to do any of that. But that was the way he was brought up. He never forgot where he came from. And such a wonderful example to young people if they'll study him and to people who are my age who have watched him live. Maybe I need to be a little bit more like he and Miss Rosalind because two of the most compassionate people I have ever known in my life. Plains is so special. This is my first time here. I grew up in Atlanta. I'm but so glad you're here. I'm so glad I'm here. <laughs> um, and his example just infuses everything here. Where do you think the town will be a year from now, two years from now? I think probably it's going to take us a good while to realize he's not up the street. He's not going to call me on the phone. And he always used to, when he called, he'd say, Jan, this is Jimmy. Like I didn't recognize his voice. And I'll say, yes, Mr. Jimmy. And uh, so it's going to take us a while to adjust to not having this man. And then all of our attention will focus on Mrs. Carter. They are so close to each other that we have seen this happen many times in our town. When one leaves, the other one is just not the same. And, you know, Miss Rosalind still wants to do with all her projects that she has. He supported her in everything she wanted to do. They talked about things you know, that some probably uh, former presidents and first ladies didn't even hardly talk to each other, maybe about world ideas, but she sat in the cabinet meetings because he wanted her to. He wanted her opinion. So all of our attention will then flow to Mrs. Carter and the family. And, uh, of course, we're already in preparation uh, because uh, the National Park site owns their home, here in Plains. So we, of course, for years have been working on the plans to fix it where the public will be able to go through and see the house where he lived, he and she lived, see the bed he made that they sleep in, uh, to walk by the pond where he likes to go fishing. So 
I know that that's going to draw a lot more people back to Plains once that site becomes open at their house. But that's going to be several years down the road after they have both passed away. My last question is just, Jan, how are you doing? I know it's a tough time for everybody here. It is. It's tough. And uh, sometimes it's, it's hard for me to think about. what it's really going to be like without him. Um, he was just, he was just, a, he, he is a dear, dear friend and one that I felt like I could tell him anything and it was just between the two of us and that he was more than willing to help me in any way possible. So I'm going to miss that, being able to call on him like that. But uh, it's more than, to me at times, and I'm, that I'm losing more than just a friend, almost like a father. Because I admired him. My father died at an early age in his life. And I thought my father was a wonderful gentleman, too. And uh, he knew Mr. Carter, Mr. Jimmy. So, you know... Maybe that was a replacement in some ways as I get older that Mr. Jimmy showed me what it was to be a real man and to make decisions that were not always pleasing with the world and to be a man about peace. Can I ask you something? You sure can. Having known Mr. Carter all these years and the example he set, how has knowing him and Rosalind shaped who you are as a person and a person in the world? I think that's a very good question. I think watching Mr. Jimmy's life would shape anybody's life if you wanted to be a better person. He used to tell us at Sunday school, this whole world can be a better world if everybody will just be kind to the person in front of you. Don't worry about everybody else. You just pick out one person and you pick out one person. We'll make that person better. And pretty soon we're going to have everybody better. Life is not about you. It's about others. Whether you build them a Habitat house or whether you take them food. We did a food delivery. Saturday we gave out over 300 families food Saturday. Our church did. And they started that. So... In the cold, freezing weather, we were doing it. But he, he was an example to follow. And just in the last, I guess, several years, as I've watched him just grow older and older, I'm concerned about what people are going to say about me when I'm gone. Are they going to say, oh, Jan was one that ran the church she ran the town she knew more than anybody else that's not what i want them to say i want them to remember the number of people that i've helped or the people that i've met at church and spoken to who still correspond with me because i might have just been a little bit sweeter to them you know in getting a seat or a special moment or whatever uh, it's all about living a good life, and when you lay down at night and close your eyes, you want to say, it's been a good day. Tomorrow's going to be even better. So that's how he shaped my life, especially 
as I've grown older. We decide to take a walk over to Rosalind Carter Trail, where there's going to be a monarch butterfly garden named in her honor. It's something that they're planning and building very soon. And talk about a small town. We bump into Tim Buchanan, who lives right next door to the plot where the Rosalind Carter Butterfly Garden is planned. We started two years ago, we renamed the street, this was South Bond, and we renamed it to Rosalind Carter Trail. Mm -hmm. We saw the sign. Yes, and then um, that was a year, um, two years ago on our birthday. The, we dedicated the park, or the new, her new gardens, which is good, this is, this is the lot that our new gardens is gonna be on. Um, and then a couple of acres back here was where we're gonna plant the milkweed and other nectar plants. The kids are going to be able to walk in. We're going to have a trail that they can park back. The bus, school buses can park back here and they can walk in behind the garden and come in. Now we're starting small. We'll have the first groups that start coming in will come in sometime the second week in March. Between the second week in March and mid-May, close to 2,000 fourth graders. And there'll be three stations set up out here. This is the stuff for one of the stations where they'll have activities that they do at each station. And one of them will be, you know, one of them will be learning how to plant a garden at their own school or either at their home. And we'll give them the materials to take back to their school and start their own garden. Well, wrapping up the day in Plains, Georgia, what you really leave with is the fact that Jimmy Carter has had such a profound impact on this little town. There are buildings named after him. There are people who have stories and excitement and adventures in their lives that they never would have had without Jimmy Carter. But then you can also tell that Plains was so much a part of making Jimmy Carter who he was. All those values that he learned on the farm, the value of hard work, the value of saving money, of taking care of the environment, of taking care of the people around you, all of those are values that he found right here in Plains, Georgia. Thank you for listening to this special edition of the Politically Georgia podcast from Plains, Georgia. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday and every Friday or whenever news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologeticallyATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,